This is the Visit the Zoo podcast, episode number 55. Today we look at the Arizona bark scorpion and we hear chapter 2 from the novel Noah, an animal adventure fantasy. sounds of the Saguaro National Park, very close to us here in the Tucson, Arizona area. And I just thought I would open this up with the sounds of the desert that is nearby. Welcome, everybody. My name is Frederick Fishman, and I am your host for the Visit the Zoo podcast. Also, I am the author of the 12-book, 120-animal series of Visit the Zoo books, which are on Kindle and also on audiobooks, and also in print and DVD as well. And again, welcome everybody to the Visit the Zoo podcast. I hope that you get a chance to also check out our two websites. Our main website, which is our podcast website, is at zooanimals.info. That's zooanimals.info. And my author site is at Frederick. Fishman, spelled F-I-C-H-M-A-N, frederickfishman.com. We also have a merch and apparel store on Amazon with some Christmas designs that you may want to check out because Christmas is coming, believe it or not. And you can access that and all the links by going to Zooswear, that's Z-O-O-Z-W-E-A-R.com. That's Zooswear.com. A lot to get to today. So what do you say we get going? Oh, first of all, we're going to read some Zoo news. And I do have one edition that just came across my desk as I was starting to record this episode. I was looking at the Smithsonian Channel, and they've got a great program that I'm going to draw from in the future. It's called World's Biggest Beasts. And one of those beasts was an animal that went extinct 60 million years ago. And this is called the Titana Boa. It is the largest snake in the history of the Earth. The anaconda now is living in the Amazon. It's about 17 feet long. This gigantic snake that lived for 10 million years, 70 million years ago, went extinct, like I said, 60 million years ago, not long after the dinosaurs, was two and a half feet in diameter. It weighed one ton. It was 45 feet long. That's the half the size of a football field. It was as long as a school bus. It was the apex predator on Earth for 10 million years, and it swam in water. It was so big. It was so heavy. The only way to support itself as a snake was to live in the water. Its mouth, when it was open, a human could stand up in the mouth. It used constriction to kill its prey, and it could wrap around an animal as big as a rhino. So we're going to do more of those animals from that program, but I just wanted to point out that huge snake, the Titana boa. 
Let's go to a couple of quick news stories. This is fairly recent from the University of Wyoming. It's a study that they did. An analysis of mule deer migration routes in two areas of Wyoming documents the idea that animals choose readily traversable pathways where they can also find food. Well, that's not too much of a surprise, I guess. The research was done by University of Wyoming scientists and collaborators from the Nature Conservancy and the Western Ecosystem Technology, Inc. also suggests that migrating animals avoid human disturbance, which could be a detriment to their nutritional needs. And there's a strong link between fitness and nutrition nutritional condition, and it underscores the importance of migratory tracks that enhance nutritional gain. The study looked at the spring migration pathways of the mule deer in the Atlantic Rim area of southern Wyoming and western Wyoming's upper Green River Basin. These pathways included areas through which the deer moved quickly, as well as stopover areas. Migratory routes not only function to transport individuals from one seasonal range to another, but also to prolong access to foods that are potentially more diverse. All right, I'm going to play you now a mystery animal sound. We're bringing that back. And let me see if you can guess what this animal is. And that is our animal sound for this week. And I'll have the answer to what the animal is and a little bit about it later on in the episode. Well, we're going to do a bifurcation of the description, the animal description section of the podcast today. And the first thing I want to do is uh, something that I failed to do last week, and that is give you another chapter from my novel, Noah, an Animal Adventure Fantasy. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you listen to chapter number two from the audiobook, which is available on audible.com. Again, that's Noah, an Animal Adventure Fantasy, and the link can be found, by the way, directly from our website, which is at zoo animals, plural, zooanimals.info. So let's listen to chapter two. Chapter two. Welcome to the Southwest Zoo, joining 175 million people per year who visit zoos around the world. Enjoy your day. The front entrance PA system barked greetings and welcome. Noah stared up at the cashier as she handed back his mother's credit card. He wondered why adults talk so strange sometimes. He thought that they talk at times like they were reading something instead of just talking. He shook his head and walked away from the cashier's stand. He stopped a few steps away from his parents and waited for them to catch up. He was suddenly a bit excited about being at the zoo that particular day. He didn't know why. He opened up his eyes a bit and concentrated on the sounds he was hearing nearby and deeper into the green forest of the zoo. He heard the low murmur of nearby human conversation, tried to pick up a line or two of conversation. Noah was very observant and tried always to place himself in the moment, not wanting to miss anything. He heard distant squawking and cries 
coming from the animal enclosures and exhibits well past the wall of souvenir shops, food stands, and signboards directly in front of him. His mother unfolded a map of the Southwest Zoo. It was considered the best zoo for hundreds of miles. His father tagged along silently, heaving a long sigh of discomfort. Noah was unsure whether or not his father was thrilled to be at the zoo. Maybe he had a golf game on his mind, or spending time in the garage with his Ford Mustang rebuild. Sweetheart, where should we go first? What land or animals would you like to see? His mother asked. Noah stared down at the map, then looked up at his mother. He shrugged his shoulders. I don't know. His father finally spoke up. We'll let you pick where you want to go first. We'll walk around for a bit and then grab a burger someplace. How does that sound? Noah looked up at his father and shrugged his shoulders. So far, he was not Mr. Excitement or Mr. Enthusiasm that day. Noah seemed to sink back into disinterest. His mother asked again, well, Where would you like to go first, Noah? Again, he shrugged his shoulders. He scanned the several manicured paths ahead. He saw people of all ages strolling shoulder to shoulder. They too scanned their zoo maps, thrust in their faces at the cashier's stand. The paths all looked the same. Then he heard his name whispered. He turned towards the direction of the sound. There, he thought, the path on the extreme right. Was that someone I know who just called out to me? What? Noah said quietly. His mother spoke up again. I said, where would you? He raised his arm and pointed to the path on the extreme right. There, I want to go there. His mother looked at the map and said, okay, good. That is towards the animals of Asia. On the lower level, the panda bears. Sound good, everyone? His father nodded in agreement as Noah started to briskly walk to the chosen path and away from the open plaza entrance of the zoo. His parents quickly followed. As they entered the path, it narrowed. Trees, shrubs, and bushes began to form a lane. Noah looked at the signs and the people. He kept walking as he stared at a small introductory enclosure display of small monkeys and nearby squawking parrots. A bit further, Noah slowed as he saw a sign ahead, and to his right, with arrows pointing down toward the panda habitats on the lower level. He made a beeline directly toward the top of a pathway that led to that lower level. His parents had to quicken their step to catch up. Noah stopped at the top of the path and looked down along its lines as it turned to the right and then to the left and then disappeared as it continued its descent. A wall and ceiling of green trees and tropical plants covered the walkway. The foliage formed a cocoon over and around the beckoning narrow asphalt trail. The light was cut off from the partly cloudy sky and it was quite a bit darker the further the path continued downward. Noah was transfixed by that green tunnel as it moved away and down 
toward infinity. His parents then turned to their left, a small commotion around two free-strolling peacocks that were putting on a show for an audience of human onlookers was ahead. People were ogling and awing and snapping pictures of the beautiful birds as the peacocks gloriously and slowly unfurled their plumage. The performance by the brightly colored birds was quite dramatic, but Noah was not paying attention. His mother pulled out a compact camera from her purse. She looked toward Noah's father. Oh, let's get a picture too. Aren't they beautiful? Noah continued to be transfixed by the sloping green path that was below and beyond. I want to go there. I want to go there, he murmured to himself. His mother said to Noah, Stay right here, Noah. I want to see these two beautiful birds. She handed her husband a small point-and-shoot camera. Honey, take a few shots for me. He grabbed the camera and looked down at his son. Noah, stay here. We'll be right back. This will only take a sec. We'll head down to the pandas when we come back. Stay here. The last stay here was a firm command. His parents then scurried away. Not that far. Maybe 20 or 25 feet. Noah watched them over at the growing crowd of peacock admirers. Noah didn't care. He turned back to the path and its green canopy. He thought he heard barely his name whispered again. Noah, come visit. All right, let's go now to uh, part two of the animal description section. And I want to discuss this particular little creature. And this is the Arizona bark scorpion. And I want to mention it because I saw another one a couple weeks ago and I had to dispatch it. And I'll tell you a little bit about this little small insect we have had in our backyard since we've moved here to the Tucson area, stuck in between Saguaro National Park East and West. We have seen scorpions the Arizona bark scorpion to be exact. We've we've had tarantulas in our backyard. We've had a bearded lizard in our backyard. That's the cousin to the Gila monster that I described last week that has a poisonous bite. And also a diamondback rattlesnake. Uh, this guy, though, for some reason, it's small, but it, it's kind of scary. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Arizona bark scorpions live in the southwest of the United States. Because they are so small in size, these bark scorpions are frequently found in residential areas areas and inside homes. Due to the fact that the Arizona bark scorpion can enter a home with less than one sixteenth of an inch of an opening, they are common and they are found inside homes. They are found primarily in Arizona, but they also can be found in Southern California and New Mexico. They are suited to living conditions in the desert. Bark scorpions can often be found in groves of trees where the humidity can support the insects they prey on. But due to humidity in residential neighborhoods with irrigation, they also thrive in homes. Most bark scorpions prey at night. They prefer to be hidden in dark, damp areas during the day. They can be found under bricks or stones in gardens inside the home or right out in the middle of the patio like the one that I saw. The bark scorpion is the only scorpion in Arizona 
whose bite is considered to be possibly life-threatening. The bite of the bark scorpion can inflict severe pain that lasts from anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. The bites can be accompanied by numbness and tingling in the affected area. For example, if your hand is bitten, it would not be uncommon for your hand to be immobilized or experience convulsions for a few days after you are bitten. Though their bites are painful, bark scorpions are considered to be the most venomous of scorpions. The fatalities are rare. Small animal, pets, children, and adults with compromised immune system, however, are most susceptible to the venom of the bark scorpion. They're most easily controlled by a shovel, which I used, or getting an exterminator in, in the house. The Arizona bark scorpion is a small, light brown scorpion. It is about 3.4 inches in length. That's the maximum for the males, and 2.75 for the females. They are eaten by a variety of animals, including birds, reptiles, snakes, rodents. However, the painful and potentially deadly venom of the bark scorpion has little effect on grasshopper mice. The scientists have found that the scorpion toxin acts as an analgesic rather than a pain stimulant to the grasshopper mice. Like I said earlier, the fatalities from scorpion envenomation is rare in the U.S., and mostly small pets and small children. Two recorded fatalities have occurred in the state of Arizona since 1968. The number of victims stung each year in Arizona is estimated to be in the thousands. In Mexico, more than 100,000 people are stung annually. And during the peak period in the 1980s, the bark scorpion claimed 800 lives there. So it can be deadly. And finally, since the amount of venom a scorpion injects varies. Arizona Poison Control Center suggests immediate medical attention only in the event of extreme pain or stings involving a weaker individual. And so that's a little bit about the bark scorpion. All right, let's get back now to the mystery animal sound. Let me play it for you one more time and tell you a little bit about this guy. Isn't that a strange-sounding creature? That that koipu is is a rodent, and it's a big rodent. It looks like a big rat and has bulging front teeth. It's semi-aquatic. It likes to live near the water. It's found mostly in, well, it's found all over the place, really. It's, it's in South and North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, and they were once farmed for their fur, but now they're considered an invasive pest. They weigh between 8 to 20 pounds. They are 16 to 24 inches long, and they live six years in captivity, three years in the wild. But here's an interesting statistic. 80% of them die within the first year. They eat vegetation, and they like freshwater marshes, and they can do a lot of wetland damage in those marshes. And they are hunted for elimination worldwide, and they are not a welcome creature. That's a mystery animal sound for today. All right, we're back now to a new segment that I've added, and that's the dog and cat segment of the podcast where I talk about the animals who live with us and have become a part of our lives. And I want to discuss, first of all, um, one dog today that is the number two pop- most popular dog in the U.S., and that is the German Shepherd. The German Shepherd, they work for us, and they are in our families 
They are smart and strong, quick, playful. They are medium to large-sized dogs. The males are at about 24 to 26 inches at the shoulders, and the females slightly smaller at 20 to 24 inches. They have a two-layer coat, uh, which includes a thick undercoat. The color is mostly tan black, and they have that long, pointed snout, and they have a terrifically strong bite. Their bite, measured in newtons, whatever that is, is at a... 1,060 newtons, whereas a human's bite is 380 newtons. They have a willingness to learn. They're self-assured. They're excellent as guard dogs. They're very curious, and they can be overprotective, though, so they must be socialized properly to prevent from biting people or being aggressive to people. They're known for their work abilities for the police, the military, search and rescue, dog sniffing, guard dogs. The breed started a in the 1850s in Belgium, Germany, and Netherlands and has developed from there. Their most common health problems, which is well known to anybody who's had a German Shepherd, are the hip and elbow dysplasia, which which causes pain and arthritis when older. They have become movie stars as well. In the 1920s, the most popular German Shepherds were, were Rin Tin Tin and Strongheart. And I've got one other thing here, and it's a small list from the Humane Society of the U.S. of things that you can consider when taking care of your dog. Some of these are so obvious, but you know that sometimes they need repeating. First of all, you've got to identify your dog. You know, put a collar on it or an ID tag or some way to know what your dog's name is and who they belong to and what telephone number. Microchip identification has become very popular now. It can be done by a veterinarian very quickly. And secondly, you should follow the local laws for licensing your dog and vaccinating him for rabies. Number three, when you're off your property, keep your dog on a leash. That's common sense. Number four, give your dog companionship. You know, just don't let him out in the yard and let him run around. They really do need human contact and other socialization. Take your dog, this is number five. Take your dog to the veterinarian for regular checkups. Number six, spay and neuter your dog. Number seven, give your dog a nutritionally balanced diet and constant access to fresh water. Number eight, enroll your dog in a training class. I'm not sure about that one. I think sometimes you're just as good at being patient and training your own dog, and I think you'll connect with it much better. So I'm not sure about that one. Number nine, give your dog enough exercise to keep him physically fit but not exhausted. Taking walks with him. Taking walks with him is a great physical exercise for both you and your dog. And finally, number 10, be loyal to and patient with your faithful companion. You love it and they love you. I can't believe it. Here we are at the end again of another visit to zoo episode number 55 and i want to thank you very much for joining me another feature packed full information episode and i love doing these and i want to thank you for joining me as always i ask you to please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen or however you listen to the visit the zoo podcast itunes or one of the podcast distribution sites and also don't forget our two websites which are Zoo Animals, plural, dot info, and zooswear.com, or you can find some great merch. That's zooswear, Z-O-O-Z-W-E-A-R, zooswear.com. Again, thank you very much for joining me. I hope that you'll join us again next week for another episode of Visit the Zoo.